You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26er family, welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode features Dr. Amber Willis. Dr. Amber is a mental health professional specializing in pediatric trauma, anxiety, and depression. She grew up in South Central as the only girl in her family and was surrounded by gang activity. While attending school in West LA, Dr. Amber realized very early on that she was not performing as well academically as some of the other students. And with teachers who seized opportunities to treat her like a low performer, she did what a lot of kids would do. She coped by having what are known as behaviors. As she got older, her behavior got worse. But she was the middle child between two brothers whose behavioral issues and associated consequences were more severe than hers. So despite her struggles in school, she was seen as the good kid by her parents. School was a different story. Teachers did not think she was college material. But Dr. Amber did not just make it to college. She also obtained a master's degree and went on to earn her PhD from USC while working as a school psychologist. But during her first year in her PhD program, a personal experience would alter her professional path. While leaving a party because of a family emergency, she got a DUI, which led to her losing her job. But another opportunity would find its way to her. And today, she's in the best season of her life. Dr. Amber is not just great at what she does. She approaches her work much differently than most school psychologists, and her personal experiences help her to relate to kids with even the most severe behavioral issues. Dr. Amber gets to work in an environment where she is not only needed, but where she feels she was ordained to be. So here's her story. Please enjoy. Amber, welcome to the December 26th podcast. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thank you. I'm great. Excited to have you. We already had a nice little banter before we pressed record here. So I already know this is this is going to be a good one. You just you just brought the right energy and you're my kind of person. So uh, I think we're going to have a, a good chat today. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So let's jump into it. Who is Dr. Amber Willis? Who am I? So this question is really loaded. And I was like, oh, what am I going to say? What am I going to, who am I? And you know, I wasn't able to really come up with one thing. I feel like I'm many different things. I can be that hood girl. I can be the very professional. I have the patience of God when it comes to children. Not with adults, I'm still working on it. But I feel like I'm just a well-rounded person and I've learned to, you know, wear many hats to be who I am. Whether that's working in the school, whether it's going to church, whether it's talking to other adults, just even trying to build my professional side, I just wear many, many hats. Absolutely. Um, so, so tell me, what what makes you call yourself that hood girl? <laughs> so, um, growing up, I'm the only girl. Um, I have two brothers, one older, one in the middle. My older brother. Um, we grew up in South Central Los Angeles, um, spent a lot of time in the, you know, the neighborhood with the others, other people. And, um, you know, just growing up around, I'm just, let's just, let's just put it out there, you know, gang related activities, trying to, you know, even be, um, just to be seen as someone not to be messed with. So having 
an older brother that's four years older than you, you have you're around other older boys. So you learn how to fight. So I was one of those girls that fought boys. Like, so if I fought boys, I knew the girls weren't gonna try to mess with me because it's like, oh wait, no, she, if she can get down with a boy, she ain't gonna try to get down with me. So it was just one of those things that I kind of grew up around and I kind of took on that persona, even though I'm not as like hood hood, but I have those tendencies to be like, nah, you need to back up off of me. Mm-hmm. And it works in my professional field too, because sometimes you get parents in the, the realm that I work in and they come in guns blazing. And it's just kind of like, I need you to realize that this, this is a professional side, but you don't know where I grew up. Don't push me. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And, you know, growing up in, in those environments, we, we all, I think now there's a better understanding around like PTSD and the effects that these environments can have on children and who they evolve into as adults. And, but, but we all know, like when you, when you grow up around gangs and all those things that can often inform what you think is possible for your own life, your behaviors, your decisions, and your life path. So thinking about who you were at the time, in addition to fighting boys, what was school like for you? What was your academic performance like and all of that? So school was very difficult for me. I, my, when, I, when I started school, I started school in my neighborhood. And, um, but my mom, she always wanted us to do better. Like she wanted us to go to the best schools and things like that. So she sent me to a magnet school, which is, which is, was in West LA. And that was perfectly fine. Community Magnet was great. That's where I met my, my best friend who I'm still friends with at this point. I met her in kindergarten. We're th- now 33 and we're still as close as we were when we were five. However, I was one of those students that had a lot of behavior issues. Mm. I like, I always tell the story about when I met my best friend, we met because I was pulling her cousin's hair. Like that's how we met. <laughs> it was just like, what five, like five-year-old, like really that's what you're doing. But I started to realize that school was not as easy for me academically as, you know, we would want it to be. However, going to a school in West L.A. where you're around a lot of diversity, a lot of different people, which was nice because it opened my eyes up to different, you know, ethnicities and cultures and things like that. However, it also put me into this little bubble of a low performer academically. Mm. I knew that I wasn't performing as high as my best friend or as high as some of the other um, uh, races in the class. And so when you have that barrier and then the teacher sometimes treats you like that, you find other ways to avoid doing the work. And my way of avoiding doing the work was to have behaviors, which Mm. we kind of see very commonly now. And so as I became, as I got older, my behavior got worse. It did. Um, But I always tell people, you know, my mom and dad, they didn't really know how bad my behavior was because I also had my older brother who was doing, you know, you know, and he joined the gang that was in and out of juvie. And then I had my little brother who was having a lot of behavior issues worse than I was. So I was kind of the one that was like the good one. So Mm. I never really got as much of the assistance as I probably needed because I was the one that was able to kind of maintain. And so, mm-hmm, go ahead. You 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 brought up something I, I think that's important to touch on and and talking to a lot of 
Black folks who are doing well for themselves today and have, have overcome a lot of things, trauma, <laughs> behavioral problems, teachers not believing in them, administrators, all that stuff. Many describe exactly what you've described in that in the grand scheme of everything that was going on for my parents or in my family or in relation to the, my siblings, I was really the good one, right? And mm-hmm. and or I was the one who could function and kind of make things happen to an extent. So there was no, there were no efforts to, um, to help me or assist me or make sure I got the the support that I needed. I think that that's a, a, a comp, that was a common occurrence for us, like, you know, eighties and nineties kids. Do you think that continues today? Or do you think there's a bit more of sensitivity to kids who might need a little bit more of attention? They're not the worst kids, but they need some help. I think it does continue today. And I think it's even more so more prevalent because now, especially in California, like with the amount of, you know, the increase in the influx and like living and how much it costs for everything and where jobs pay people, you know, families are not able to really give their kids as much attention as they want. And so it's typically the kids that have the severe behaviors that get you know, the most attention because the parents are getting called about them all the time. So I think it's even, I want to, I don't want to say worse, but it's, it happens more often than not. I have a lot of students that I work with where that is their story. It's like, oh, well, why hadn't, why did I know this student was struggling academically? Oh, because they have this sibling that's even worse that needed, you know, and because he was having so many or she was having so many issues, then they, they got all the attention because, oh, I, I want my baby to do well. And of course you want your child to do well. So you try to do as much as you can and you're like, oh, well, this one is adjusting just fine. But really they're not. They're dealing with just as much trauma as the other ones, but they're just hiding it a little bit better. Mm. So thinking about that, now relating it back to your story, you were in in comparison to your brothers, you were really maintaining, you know, in a sense. So were you were you being pushed through like grade to grade? Were you at least doing well Absolutely. enough academically yeah, to, to advance from, you know, through the grades? I believe that I was being pushed through. Mm-hmm. I might have had C's, they, you know, maybe some B's in there. I really wish I could remember what my elementary grades were. That is, it, it, they probably weren't even accurate, to be honest, because I feel like even though I was able to learn how to read, I don't feel like I got all the foundational skills that I needed to really be successful in reading. So there was there was times where I just felt like, oh, well, why am I going to read this? I don't know half the words on this page. However, because I was, you know, I had friends that were smart and we worked together and I would go to their houses sometimes. So I would always come out with, you know, something where it was like, oh, well, OK, well, she's good. So I really feel like I was one of those students that was pushed through and I probably should have been a kid that possibly could have had an uh, a IEP, which is special education, because I know I wasn't diagnosed with ADHD until I was an adult and I went searching like mm. and I was like something like I can't control my brain and I'm constantly moving and I'm always on the go and I can't focus. Like, and it was just, it wasn't until I got into my master's program that I was like, there's something there. But again, when you have a brother that's ODD and ADHD and you have a little brother that's ADHD and they're, you know, it was kind of like, Oh, Amber, you know, you got it. You got it, girl. Like, and I was the only one that, well, no, that's not true. My little brother did come to community with me um, but because of his behavior, he ended up at a different school. So I was the one that stayed in the, you know, 
the good school, the learning, the good learning environment where my mom thought I was getting the best education. But at the same time, I didn't feel like I was. And it wasn't and, until I got to middle school I really saw that. And don't do you feel like there this speaks to gender issues as well? Like in, in your experience, is it that that black boys are getting diagnosed more quickly? Is it that they're experiencing more severe punishment than, you know, than little black girls? But you hear this so many black women who are like, I I didn't know I had, you know, a learning disability or I was not neurotypical or A, B, C and D until I was an adult. You talk to a lot of black <laughs> men. They're like, oh, you know, they put a label on me in second grade. So is it You're is it really along gender lines? I think it truly is. Is it because. Black boys in, in, you know, specifically, they're looked at already as, oh, my gosh, we got to be on edge with them. So immediately if they start having behaviors or anything like that, then it's, oh, oh we got to we got to really help him or, or he got to go. Because it wasn't until actually I just found this out having a conversation with my mom that when they when my brother was moved from the school when he was in first grade, they had labeled him as emotionally disturbed. Mm. And I was like, what? Well, I was like, wait a minute. And now that I'm in the field that I'm in of special education and working, I'm like, he's definitely not emotionally disturbed, but that's what they do. And it and it's it's more, it happens way more. We always talk about the disproportionality of, you know, of eligibilities when we're talking about special education. And it is true. The majority of Black children, specifically boys, are either emotionally disturbed or um, other health impairment, which is like due to ADHD having, you know, that attention issue. And it was one of those things where it's just like, but I was the one fighting all the time. Like my brother had one incident in school and they like was like, oh, he needs to go. You know what I mean? Like he had minor behaviors, but it was one big incident. And they were like, oh, he must be. And it clearly they said he must be emotionally disturbed. And it's like, well, no, think about like I always tell people, we have to think about the environment that they grow up in, the trauma that's happening, whether we seem affected by it or not. Like, because we would never like super misbehave with our parents. Yeah, we threw tantrums and things like that. Um, but we weren't fooling with uh, Demetra and Jeffrey like that. We were like, mm, let me let me pull back, you know. And um, I think about what age my brother was in comparison to my older brother. And that was the time when my brother really started to get into those, you know, the gangs and, and, and the we were having, you know, raids and stuff at our house and still having to go to school. That's a lot on kids that we don't think because they're not really reacting that they're impacted by. And, 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 and it's no fault. Like I always tell them, like, don't ever feel like guilty or anything about what we dealt with, because if we don't talk about it, how are you going to know? You trying to process what's just happening. You have a kid that you're trying to help. And then you have your younger ones. Like you're not really, it's not that you don't care about the other ones, but your mind is trying to wrap around everything that's going on because you're being traumatized just like we are. Absolutely. But I think sometimes adults forget that children have mental health needs also. Absolutely. And we're definitely going to get into the work that you do specifically, um, in 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 this space because I think it's an important thing to talk about and I also think it is being dis- destigmatized in our community. I think we have a long way to go, um, mm-hmm. but I, I I do think that the covers are being pulled back a, a bit with respect to our needs as a community and our children's needs. And if those needs mm-hmm. are not addressed when you're a child, how that manifests in your adult life, which I feel like we could do a whole podcast series just on that. Um, Absolutely. 
But before we get there, so you've you had this experience of being pushed along, but you're still in this magnet program. Were you there for mm-hmm. high school as well? Yes. So I ended up going to Laces, which is the feeder school of community. It was community was on the backside behind Laces and then there was Laces and Laces was a sixth through 12th grade magnet school. So, again, it was a great experience, like socially, because I was able to see, you know, interact with different cultures. I went to, you know, parties in Beverly Hills and then I went to parties in, um, you know, Palisades, Malibu, you know, things like that. And then, but it was also a very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? There was a lot of also hurt that I experienced dealing with that because it wasn't until like everybody would invite me to our their parties and I would go and we have a good time. But it wasn't until I had a party and they had to come to South Central and literally like five of my friends came in. They was all the black ones. And I was just kind of like, I was like, and at being a sixth grader experiencing that when you've all, when you've grown up with all of these people, you go to their houses, you talk to their parents, like you all have these, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll take Amber with us. And, and then you have something and nobody shows up. And it's like, it was, a, it was a shock to me. And I know my mom felt so bad, like, but I, like, I cried. Cause I was just like, am I not liked? Like, what is it? And then it wasn't until I got older where you think about, oh, well, it's the neighborhood you live in. Like, they're not coming past, you know, they're not going to pass uh, Jefferson. They, that's, that's even too far, but you know, they're not going to go into the, the, the Westerns and the centuries that's down in, in Los Angeles. So it was just, it was an experience that I, I enjoyed the social aspect of it, but it also showed me how, where I was in the totem pole, not just academically, but socially. And it was kind of like, if I wasn't in, you know, I wasn't the best student and I already had behaviors and, you know, that, that kind of follows you along when you're in school. And I was one of the people that the teachers would say, oh, you got her? Like, oh, like, girl, like, she she has this, this. So they went in, we started the school year off with them being on defense. Like, oh, I got it. You're going to be bad. Like, like, oh, that's how, that's how you're going to treat me. OK, so you have a choice, right? You either you either live up to what they're saying or you do better. Well, I wasn't that one. I was like, oh, you want to be rude to me? I got you. So I was on that other side where I'm just like, OK, well, I'm going to just give you all the behavior that you think that you're going to get from me. And that was a lot of my um, upbringing until I got into, I want to say it was eighth grade and it was a teacher named Miss Cook. And she, she was just, she, and I, I don't know if she was, I think she was new that year too. So it was a fresh person, a fresh, you know, she didn't take what everyone said, the other teacher said, and she didn't throw it on me. Like, mm. and so she was, she really embraced me as who I was. And so I, that's who I connected with. Like we were, you know, she was, she was helping me and with reading and things like that. And I can probably count on one. And I know I'm jumping around. Let me, let me back up, but I can really probably count on one hand, the amount of teachers that I really connected with that I was like, they really have my best interests at heart, despite my behavior. Um, and we need that. Like, we don't have that often, but I always said that I was a terrible writer I hated writing. I hated reading. And if you can't, if you struggle with reading, you're going to hate writing. Like, it's just inevitable. It's like, you can't do, you can't be a great writer and, and not be able to read because you can't spell anything. Um, but it was also a 10th grade teacher, Miss Moody. She was like, oh, you're a great writer. 
And even though I still didn't all the way believe it, and she may have just been, and I'm, you know, she may have just been doing it to help pump me up, but that did something for me. So I was more inclined to help, like to do my work in her class, write my essays. She was another English teacher. And I'm like, these are the people that you need in your life that we don't get. And I was one of those kids, like once I got into sports, well, once I got off of academic probation long enough to be in sports, because mm-hmm. I was, I would always make teams, but then my grades would be like, nah, bro, you need the, <laughs> you, you're not going to do none of that. And I was one of the kids that was always in detention. And then I would dish detention and I go. And then, you know, like I tell people all the time, I was one of those kids that they tried to kick me out of school my senior year. Mm-hmm. Like, like I, wait a minute, I've been here for, for six, seven years now. And you wait my senior year to be like, nah, girl, you just, and I really truly believe, you know, it's, it was because of my academic performance. They didn't think that I was going to graduate. Many of them actually told me that. I had one teacher and I say, <laughs> I had one teacher that I was in 10th grade. It was a history teacher. He was African-American. Mm-hmm. And I, he, we did a project and he paired me with who I thought was the smartest person in the class. Like he was one of the smartest, like, and I'm talking about the entire class of 2006. I felt like he was, he was always doing his work, very smart. And so we did the work together, but I always had a fear of speaking in public. So I asked him, I said, can you, you know, share it? And he said, yes. And I don't know if he said yes, because he was scared of me or if he just was happy to do it. I don't know, but he said yes, regardless. And so we get to the, we do the presentation and I, you know, I'm just standing there and I'm, I'm nodding in agreement and things like that. And so we sit down and he makes a comment about me not doing any of the work. And I'm like, mm. wait a minute. I'm like, I did, we did this together. He just presented. And somehow I wish I could tell you exactly what it was, but it somehow it started to escalate. And then it escalated to a point of no return. I like to say. <laughs> because I started getting up and getting hype. And I'm like, you're not going to tell me that I didn't do any work. And the, and the, the other student, he was like, she did, she did help me. And he was like, you don't have to lie for her. And it's like, what, what would he have to lie about? Like, why are you doing this in front of the entire class? Like this is still third period or whatever period it was. And everybody is in there. And so I'm, and so I'm getting hype. And then he's, he, it was, it was this statement and I'm not going to say the curse words. But he was like, I don't know who the F you think I am. I got my MF in degree and blah. And I was like, oh, that's all. That's literally that's all I remember. And I mm. pretty much that. I was like, oh, now you're no longer an adult. You're now a peer because now you're talking to me like we well, like we cool. So let me get at you. Like that's that's all I can remember. And I tried the. <laughs> I was a mess. Like I'm still like as I think about it, I'm like, you were just like. Why would you think that it would be okay to try to fight your teacher? Like, <laughs> go ahead. But you know, like, but it was what's crazy is that Demarcus and I, before this conversation, we were just talking about how everybody is not equipped to work with kids, right, or to to work with young people mm-hmm. or to teach. And first of all, he instigated that situation with an accusation, and mm-hmm. not just an accusation, but a public accusation. Right. So then you put somebody mm-hmm. on the defensive and somebody who has a history of maybe not living up to, to academic potential, who, but who's done the work this time and now mm-hmm. being being perceived as something else. Right. So all that is in play. And then 
we literally were just talking about this when a when a, a teacher forgets that they're a teacher and talks to talks to a student like they're on the street and like they're equals. And in that instance, I may be wrong for saying this, but in that instance, whatever a student's reaction is, is a deserved reaction because you've now you you started it in a way where it was imbalanced, and now you've taken it to a place where what do you expect to get in return? Mm-hmm. So listen, you might call mm-hmm. yourself a hot mess, but in that instance, I'm like, you, you recursed that. So whatever happened after that is what happened, <laughs> especially for right. us as Black folks. And and then it was like, it was in front of everybody. And then so now I'm like, not only are you disrespecting me, but now you're doing it in front of everybody where I have a persona to keep up. So I'm right. also thinking about that part. And I'm like, oh, okay. So this is what we're going to do. Like my friend was holding me back. Like, and I was thinking like, as I'm older now and I think back to that and I'm like, would you have really like tried to hit like what you know like would you have really tried to hurt him or hit him or really fight him and i'm just like honestly i don't know and and it's sad to say that but i feel like he took me there and 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 of course i need to take responsibility for what i did but i'm i was also a a 15 year old mm-hmm. you are a grown man an african american man at that and you're telling this this 15 year old female that already had, like, you don't have, he didn't need to know that I had self-esteem issues. He didn't need to know all of that. But regardless, you know the type of population that you're serving because races was not, it, it, it had, we had a lot of African-Americans. Yes, we did, but we all came from different places. And we all had something to live up to because laces, when people hear, hear the name laces, they're like, oh, you went to the smart school. Like, literally, in LA, that's what they say. And so when you have that and you, and you are the same ethnicity as somebody else and you're downgraded. You're never going to be anything. You're not going to go anywhere. You're not normal. These are things that he said to me. And I'm like, how is this? Why do you think that this is okay? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care what you see me doing outside on the quad or talking to my friends, how you see that this is you're supposed, you're supposed to be a professional and that's not okay. Like, why are you demeaning another another person period but an african-american female like you're supposed to be building me up to be better not taking me down to where now i'm in trouble and you deny and deny and deny that any of this even happened but it's Mm -hmm. all on me and so i just i i was i was so blown away by what happened and i'm very sensitive at, at the end of the day so I might go, I'm crying, but nobody sees me crying. I don't want nobody to see me crying because you're messing up my street cred then. But like, I was one of those very sensitive people and my defense mechanism was to get angry. Now, it's not, I need to, I've been working on it. And I always tell people, I say, I thank the Lord every day for deliverance because had I still been the person that I was in high school now, I, I wouldn't be anywhere. So, yeah. So how does one have that experience and deal with those academic and behavioral challenges, albeit at a magnet school? How does one go through all that and still end up pursuing a degree? Um, I'm going to say peer pressure. I'm going to be very honest because I even started doubting my ability as I got older because, you know, you have friends who like both of my best friends. And I still talk to both of them, the, the, the one I was telling you from kindergarten. And then my friend, uh, my best friend, Corey, who is, I met him in sixth grade. They were both very um, high academic performers. And so as I got older, I'm starting to see them. 
you know, AP classes. You know, she went to a different school um, in Inglewood, but she was the valedictorian. Like, and I'm like, and here's little old me. Like, I can't even really read the books y'all reading. Or I, I don't know how to study and I, I, I clam up on tests and I fail them and things like that. And so it was it was those type of things where I was just like, well, Amber, just apply because they're applying. Like and and even when I got to my senior year and we were applying and all of things and they were getting into all these schools, UCLA, UC Berkeley and, all, and I'm like, I don't even have the grades to apply to a UC like. And I know I'm not going to have the SAT scores to apply to a UC, you know? And so it was all those different pressures. But I was like, one thing that I realized about LACES is that they still try to get you to do things. So it was like you had the college counselor and you had people trying to encourage you. I just felt that for me, they were doing it just because it was just that's what they had to do. But nobody really believed that I would actually get into school. So it was just like, oh, well, let me just apply. Like, oh, well, I got into CSUN. Yay. Okay. I'm, that's where I'm going to go. Um, and uh, I, I really feel like in the back of my mind, a part of it wants to prove people wrong too. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, you all said that I wasn't going to be anything. So I'm going to be something. I don't, I didn't know what it was. Like I went into school as a theater major. Like what? Like theater? And then I realized that, yes, I do enjoy singing and acting and things like that. But I also have a fear of being the spotlight. So mm. I'm like, that's not going to work for you, boo, when you got to do a monologue in front of your class. And you like and now you you so nervous that you forget. And then and I always tell people, I'm like, I really believe it was a, from a traumatic experience in church where I had to sing a song and they wanted me to sing the whole, all verses on, uh, I think it was, Oh, come all ye faithful. And they wanted me to sing all three verses. And I was like, I don't want to do that. They were like, yes, do it. And then I forgot the words. Mm-hmm. And I, so I'm just standing there like, and I was done. I, I, I stopped singing up until I was like in my, like probably like second year of college. Like that's how bad it was from nine. to what is that? Like, 20, I was not singing anymore. I was just kind of like, no, baby, that will not be my life. And so as I got into the field and then, you know, I was living with a boyfriend. And so I had to get another job because I was pretty much supporting both of us. And um, and then I started working with kids. Mm. Working with kids was my first job. I was a uh, actually I was doing it in when I was 16. So once I was able to get work study, I was out. I was like, get. Let me sign up. Let me get out of this school as soon as I can. And I was making sure that my grades was okay so I could, so I didn't have to, you know, put other classes in that in that part so I could have an open schedule, even though they were C's. But I was still trying. I was like, listen, I can't, I can't, I have to get away from this school. And um, I started working for LA's Best in Los Angeles. And it was, I was a, a student helper or whatever the, I can't think of what the position was called. But that's when I started working with kids. And I was working with kids, of course, in South Los Angeles. And I loved it. And I was just, oh my gosh. But still, I went to college doing something, thinking of another degree. And mm-hmm. then I got to another part-time job where I was working, actually like having a classroom of kids. And I was like, this is kind of dope. And so I started taking child development classes. And I was like, oh, baby, this is what I want to do. So I completely threw my major away. Like I had to really kind of start over which was fine because my first year of college, I was partying a lot. So I was on academic probation anyway. So I was like, let's just start over. Let's just do it. <laughs> Clean slate, 
just just go to scratch here. It's okay. Well, let's just start over. So with me finishing in five years, I'm like, technically I finished in four because I changed my major my second year. So listen, that's, that was, I did right. So it was just, I kept pushing, you know, there was a lot of different things that were going on in my life. Like I always tell people, my dad passed away unexpectedly in 2008. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I didn't even get out of the bed from October, the beginning of October till probably I don't know. I think I went back to school the spring semester, but I pretty much flunked my whole fall 2008 semester because I was just like, what is happening? Like, (laughs) there's too much going on in my life. And then this happens, like some random situation. And so I didn't even think that I was going to finish. And it was just kind of like, okay, well, let's pick ourselves up and let's let's go back. And I just kind of just kept pushing myself to 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 be better because I was like and honestly, I wanted to chase money. I was like, I'm not about to be nobody that, you know, I'm looking around at certain people in my neighborhood and I'm like, I can't, I can't be, I I, I can't let that be my life. Like I have to do something to push myself and to be in a a capacity where I'm comfortable. Now, you know, people always, we always going to need money at some point, but I want to be comfortable. And so I just kept pushing. And as I kept going, I was like, oh, I really like this. Oh, I really like this. And I was telling, um, your brother when we had a conversation that I I thought I was gonna go to to become a social worker. I thought when I graduated undergrad, I was like, oh, I'm gonna be a social worker. Cause I love working with kids. I want to work with the kids that deal with trauma. And I was, you know, I was really gung-ho. And then I didn't get into none of the schools. And I was like, well what am I supposed to do now? Like, mm-hmm. you know, we and it was it was a professor from from CSUN. He was my psychology professor and he was actually my statistical psychology professor, which who takes uh, statistics with psychology like that, that whole aspect. I didn't even just, know that was the thing, but OK. Listen, it, and, and it was be, it was because I decided that I wanted to make psychology my minor. And so I'm like, well, I, I can't do this. I don't even like math enough for this. But we because. He was such a great teacher and he really worked well with everybody. We developed like a relationship. And so he called me and he was like, um, have you ever thought about school psychology? And I was like, school psychology? Like, what is that? And I mean, you think about school and you think it's psychology, like, okay, but I didn't realize that it was really special education. Um, but he was like, you know, there's a program at CSUN, they need people. He, 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 said, he said they need more Black people. They didn't meet their mm. quota. And I was like, oh. Okay. And he was like, you know anybody else? I said, I know two other people. Because we had a, there was the two friends that I had that we graduated together. And I was like, um, y'all want to do school psychology? And they were like, yeah. So we didn't have to take, like, we had to take the GRE. But, however, because I bombed the GRE, it didn't matter because they still needed people. So they put me in the program. And then I had to take all the prerequisites and everything that I didn't take to be in the program. And And I always think, I'm like, God really set up my life, like mm-hmm. legit. Like what I thought that I was going to do and what I had in my mind, he was like, nah, bro, that ain't for you. This is what you about to do. And so cause I'm like, there's no, like what program, you know, lets you into their program. You didn't make the GRE requirement, like the, the test requirement. And then you haven't taken any of the prerequisites, but you just going to be in this program. Like, oh yeah, come on. I was like, okay. And it was literally three black girls. It was us three. Mm. It was just like, okay. And then we had we had interviews and it was some Hispanic girls there that 
And I was like, oh, so y'all was really like, y'all didn't have nobody. Like, <laughs> like the second round, y'all was, y'all was like, we really need to get some minorities in here. Yeah. And it was just kind of like, it was the best thing for me. And now like looking at, looking back at it, I'm like, yeah, this had nothing to do with what I thought I was going to do with my life. But it, it's, it's where I ended up and it was great. So from an academic performance perspective, after having this history of academic probation, academic probation, academic probation, what was your grad school experience like from you, like in terms of the grades that you got? Well, we couldn't, we had to maintain a B plus. We couldn't get less than a B <laughs> And so that, that caused even more anxiety for me because I'm like, I ain't never had straight Bs in nowhere. Like how am I supposed to do this? Like what? Let alone A's, like, wait a minute. Like, you you want me to be able to maintain B's? Like, if I get a B minus, I got to take the class over? And so I was in a panic. But because I had, you know, people, we we all came in at the same time. We all ended up in the same little cohort for our counseling. So we all became like a little family. So we would work together. And I think because as we started, as I started getting into the program, I realized how much I really liked it. Mm-hmm. And how much I was really good at it, that it made it easier for me to want to try to do the work and to be able to like, I still sucked at studying. Like, girl, I didn't study. I, <laughs> I probably was studying right before we about to go into class and take the test. But um, like, it was just because it was enjoyable and it just kind of came naturally. And I didn't realize how naturally it came until now as I'm older and actually in my field. But I was like, oh, this is what it's like. And so when it came to tests and stuff like that, we would try to study together. You know, we would try to work it out where it was all of us and not just me trying to do it by myself. And I, I always say, like, I tell my friend Jasmine, I tell my friend Adriana, like, you all, y'all, y'all help me with this. Mm-hmm. Like, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have made it through grad school without, you know, Amy, Jasmine, Shanice. Like, we were all a, a big family. We would go out on each other. Like, we on boats and stuff like that. And we would just enjoy being around each other. And it helped because we were like, oh, well, you know, let's study here. Let's study there. And I'm like, oh, study? Like, oh, okay. But it it worked. And I, I, I wish I could really tell you really what happened. I honestly, I don't know. I just feel like it, because it came naturally, I was easily able to do the papers and things like that. So I was doing better than I was giving myself credit for that I mm-hmm. thought I could do. Yeah. So you you slid in a little bit earlier living with a boyfriend and oh. and and supporting <laughs> this person. I'm not going to let that slide. So I didn't miss it. I, I wanted to continue <laughs> a bit on the journey, but let's talk about that as well. How, were you in college at, at that point? I was in college. It was my high school boyfriend and um when we were when we first started dating, he lived in Fontana, which is like far, an hour away from Los Angeles, and I was in LA. And so once we graduated, um, you know, he wanted to come down into LA and things like that. But I was living in the dorms initially, and he was living with his grandmother after he left his parents. And somehow he just ended up at my apartment building when I moved out with my friends, and he never left. And so it was just kind of like. And because, you know, he wasn't really going to school anymore, which I was like, dude, you were valedictorian. What are you doing? But anyway, that's neither. That's a whole nother story. But um, he was staying with me and we were pretty much living off of my part time job. Like 
Mm-hmm. I had to pay, and I'm like, not only do I have to pay rent, but now I'm paying for food for two people and trying to help you get jobs and things like that. And it was just, it was, it was definitely a learning experience. And I'm like, I really wish that I would have made better decisions because like, well, let's just put it out there. I, I ended up blowing through the social security that I received from my dad passing because mm. I was taking care of two people and I didn't have it. I wasn't working a full-time job. He wasn't working at all. So I'm trying to take care of us and I'm trying to go to school. But then I'm like, dude, I need you to get a job. So we're not struggling. Like it was just, you know, we fall in love. Like, Oh my gosh, he's going to be my everything. We're going to get married, have babies. And it's just, no, you can have that thought. You can have that wish, but you also, there has to be a partnership. And and I was trying to, Everything and I wasn't doing a good job. And, but and you know, at that mom. age, at that age, you know, so you think love conquers all and it's all going to be fine and whatever. But that you mentioned your mom just now because that was going to be my, my next question. Like, what was your mom? What was what was she thinking about all of this? You expect your kid to go to college. Yes, you you date, you do all these things, but you have a good time. Now you don't move in. Not only move right. in with somebody, but actually financially support them as well. Yeah, she hated it. She hated it. She was like, she hated it. And she was like, every time I would go to her, because, and she was very, she was very wise. My mom is very wise. She was looking like, she was holding on to that money. Like, girl, you're not ready for this. You're not, you're not ready for whatever. It doesn't matter how much amount it is. Because she, what she was able to see was, my pattern. I grouped up with some friends who introduced me to student loans. Mm. If you if you take out the full amount, you gonna get a re, a reimbursement check. And I was like, what? Like a reimbursement? So what is Amber doing? Click the full like total take off. And I'm like, these are like, why would I? My grants covered everything. Why do I mm. need that? You know. But at that time, I'm just thinking about more money. I'm like, oh, I got more money and put gas in my car, drive far to go see him, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's what that's where my mind was going. Oh, I could party. I can go get you know, a mess. And so when my dad passed and after she got the money, she held on to it and she would, like, give me a little bit here and there if I needed mm-hmm. it. But then I would keep coming. And she was like, Amber, like, you... And she was trying to, like, she was trying to let me be an adult, but at the same time, she's like, you're not making good decisions. Like, you can't. I know what you're doing with this money. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh no, I need it for me. I need it for me. Yeah, I did need it for me too, because we we needed food. Like I needed to eat, you know? And so it wasn't that I wasn't doing it for me, but she knew like, had I not been trying to take care of this man, I wouldn't have needed to jump in and ask and take all that money to be, you know, where it could have set me up for, you know, when I went to grad school. And I could help, you know, pay for that rather than taking out loans. Like, so I think about all these things now and I'm just like, dude, like, mama, you should have just said it. Like, girl, no, I'm not giving you no more money. You figure it out. Like, no, like, but, you know, parents, they want you to be independent. They want you, like, she she pretty much taught me a life lesson. Like, okay, this is what you're going to keep asking. Okay, I'm going to keep giving. And this is where you're going to end up. And that's when, and that's where I ended up. And I was just like, oh, so at one point, I was just like, I'm going to move back home with my mama. Like, <laughs> it was nice. Have a great evening. I'm moving it's, back to Los Angeles. It's been enjoyable to wrap on this. So, okay. So, all right. That was, I, I wanted to digress on that. Because I think it's important to display, you know, our humanity in the sense that 
we make decisions based on our limited knowledge at the time. And, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times I think many of us arrive to a place in our careers or in our lives and we still hold like regret or guilt because we blew money at 21 or we were in a poor relationship or what have you. And then that led to needing to, to take out student loans. And then now, you, you know, you're an adult in your career paying them back and realizing how much interest it is. There's so many things. And I think oftentimes there is a shame around being honest about that. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and not realizing that a lot of us made the same dumb decisions. Right? Mm-hmm. Many of us are in the same boat. I think often the folks who didn't are the exception rather than the right. rule, honestly. Absolutely. So, um, so that's really why why I brought that up because I and I knew it was just going to be funny in between uh, just because of the way you tell stories. So it was that hesitation. You know, I like kind of slid it in there. Yes, like, oh, exactly. Because that's, exactly. that's real. We hesitate to tell the real because we want to paint this picture that we were just oh, oh. right. Like, that's not my life. Like it was not my life. Right. And I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, but but you get through that situation. You're at grad school, you find your rhythm with this core group of friends, which is so important in these majority white programs, particularly advanced degree programs. But you don't stop there. No. You decide that you want to get a doctorate. Yeah. And I still think back, like, what was I thinking? But (laughs) even after finishing the program, like, why did I do that? I just, there was... I don't even know what it was. I was already working in my field. I was a school psychologist and I was just, oh, you know what? It was one of my supervisors. She mm-hmm. was the director of special education at the charter school that I was working at. And she went to the USC um, educational leadership doctoral program. And she was telling me about it and things like that. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And she was like, you know, it opens you up to different things. You know, you have different uh, tracks that you can go within that even just that realm of that overall umbrella of a, um, of a major. And so I was kind of thinking, I'm like, Oh no, I don't want to go back to school. I was like, that's not, mm -mm. I don't know. That's not my life. I don't know why I was even considering it. Like, I don't like school. I'm Mm -hmm. like, I don't like school. Why are you even thinking about it? And so as I kept thinking about it, I was like, okay, I'm gonna take a year off. And if I go back to school where I will be done by 30, then I'll then I'll do it. And I literally took a year off and I was like, okay, I'm gonna apply. And then I mm-hmm. got in and I was like, what? And I think the excitement of getting into USC was like, because it's like, girl, you would have never, you would, you wouldn't even apply to USC because you knew you wasn't gonna get in. Like that wasn't even like a thought on your brain. And it was just kind of like, oh my gosh, they accepted me. So did you feel a sense of validation or redemption considering your academic experience up to that point? And now this time you just applied to a well-respected program and they're like, welcome, we want you. Absolutely. And I was like, yes, like this is this. It was such a and that was the only school I applied to. So it was like, is he this or nothing? And it made me feel so, you know, accomplished, like. Amber, you didn't even think you were going to go to college, bro. Like, and you about to start this doctoral program, like at USC, like, and, and, you know, like USC can have the trashes teachers or whatever, but the network and the name alone gets you into places. Like there's people that I went to school with that were superintendents before we even graduated because they went to USC and a professor wrote a recommendation letter for them mm. or a professor linked them with another, um, 
a, a, a superintendent like in the, in another district or a director or somebody on the board. Like the way that USC opens doors for people is mind blowing. And it's, and it's a great network, you know? And so I was like, oh, I'm about to be in this school fight on. Yeah, I'm a Trojan. And oh, I'm going to all the football games. And that was the best. I was like, dang, if I would have went here for undergrad, because I was like, even the doctoral going to the games, I was like, this is lit. Like, okay. I was like, this is my type of people. Because like, people forget that USC is in the middle of the hood. Like, so mm-hmm. regardless of what you try to say about like. It is in the middle, smack dab of the hood. You cross over the street, you want to clutch your purse. Like, don't even play. But it's a great institution. And so it did make me feel amazing. Like, oh my gosh, I'm doing this. Like, mm-hmm. this, here I am. And after all I've been through dealing with, you know, not even thinking I was going to graduate from college when my dad, you know, it was just, and, and then at the end of the day, I started thinking, I'm like, I'm doing this for my mom and my dad. Mm-hmm. Like, not just for me, but I was doing it for them because I'm like, I know I gave them hell and I feel so bad now that I'm older. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to do this for y'all because I want y'all to know that I can be successful regardless mm-hmm. of what my behavior showed when I was younger. I can't, I was able to be successful and I, and yeah. And so just, I think back on it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I still can't believe that I did it, but I did it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, I know in your story, they're not just the challenges in academia. You've experienced professional challenges because of an experience you had personally. Yes. So let's talk about that. <laughs> so it was it was actually the first year that I started at, uh, at USC. I went out to party. Now, mind you, I'm still a school psychologist. I'm I'm I've I've. Because of, before I jump into that part of it, prior to that, I had moved schools probably, this is my second year of psychology. So I was going into my third year um, and I was now working for LAUSD. Mm -hmm. And um, the job prior, before that, I lost it because I did not get along with the principal. There was some things he asked me to do that I said I did not want to do because I don't like to label kids when it's not appropriate. And, you know, if your goal is to get kids out of the school, well, that's not my goal. My goal is to mm-hmm. advocate. So we we clashed a lot. So I had a lot of issues in terms of that with, you know, because I'm very strong minded and I will speak my mind. I don't care who you are, unfortunately. I've gotten better. I've gotten better, thank the Lord. But at that time, I was just like, no, that's not what I'm going to do. That's not my job. That's not what. That's not how I get down. So I went to LAUSD. It was Halloween, and we went out partying. You know, I'm like, ooh, hey, because I what it, what it was is I won a a free party at a place in Manhattan Beach, and so mm-hmm. I was like, y'all. Oh, let's go. Let's we going to party. And so we there, we taking jello shots and all this other stuff, and we having a good time. And then I get a call. And they're like, Your mom is being rushed to the hospital. Um, you know, and I'm like, what? And so I'm like, everything stopped and dropping everything. Out. Oh, I'm on my way. Well, I made an illegal U-turn. Mm. I, I knew that it said, and I looked and I thought I didn't see any police. And so I hit that U-turn and I'm driving. And then I'm looking, I'm like, why is it so bright behind me? And I realized that I hadn't checked my mirror back. And so I moved it back. And then I realized the police are behind me. And I'm like, dang it. Dang it. 
and and he walks up. He's like, have you been drinking tonight? And I was like, yeah, I had a drink. And he was like, where were you coming from? And I was like, oh, Baja Sharkies. He's like, oh, you had one of them big drinks? I said, yeah. And so he was like, so he did the test. And, and so it turns out that he was, he was arresting me for a DUI. Mm-hmm. So now here I am. My mom is in the hospital. I'm sitting in jail. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I was literally crying the entire time. They're like, you're only going to be here for a few hours. And it was cold. I was like, oh, my God. I was supposed to be the only one in my family not to have this issue, not to get arrested. Oh my, Like, like literally, like, sobbing. Just And I was so afraid. And I'm like, I'm disappointing my mom. My dad is in heaven looking down at me like, girl, for real, this is what, you about, this is what you're doing? And, like, that's all I kept thinking was, like, oh, my gosh, I'm such a disappointment. Mm. And I, I wasn't even worried about work. That, that's how crazy it was. Like, I was like, I'm disappointing my mom and my dad. And I was just like, and my brothers. Because, you know, they they look, you, I won't say they look up to me, but they're proud of me too. And so to be in that situation, I just felt completely just shamed, to be honest. Like, I was just like, oh my gosh, my life is over. And um, and luckily the school that I was at, they were very nice. Um, I went to work that day still. And they were looking at me like, what's wrong with you? I didn't tell them I got arrested, but I told them that my mom was in the hospital. They were like, go home. Like, so I was like, okay. And so because I was still, it was my first, um, my first year there. And they report that to your employer when that happens, because the C- the CTC, which is the credential teaching, the California teaching credentialing place, they want to know, is this like a common occurrence? Mm-hmm. Like, so, you know, they, they do we need to suspend her life, like her credentials? She need to be revoked. Like, what is it? And so because I had that, um, they sent it. And so I had a meeting and it was just kind of like, oh, well, you know, you're on probation and this and this and that. And I was like, well, like I wasn't at work when it happened, like and it mm-hmm. wasn't during work hours. So I just kept going on about my, you know, my year. And then I ended up losing my job because of it. Mm. And so now I'm in a panic because I'm like. I've lost the only, like, I've lost my job. If I go to another district, I have to do a background check. They're going to see the DUI. Like, right. what am I going to, what am I going to do now? And so um, I was applying to different places um, and I applied to Palmdale School District. And um, they emailed me back and said they wanted to do an interview. And so actually they called me and they emailed me. And then, so I'm calling, I'm calling, I'm calling, I'm calling, I'm calling, and I'm leaving messages. And I send an email. I'm like, hey, I heard that you, I'm trying to schedule this um, this um, interview. And then like maybe the next day they text, they email me back and they say, um, the position has been filled. I'm like, well, on the website, they say y'all got six positions. Like, so all six was filled in one day. And so I, I immediately was just like, it was a DUI. Like, mm-hmm. you see you start to search it, it's, it comes up, like I'm sure it comes up when you look on, I don't know where it comes up, but I figured they fit, found out about it. And so now I'm all defeated. I'm all sad again. I'm like kicking myself, like, Amber, you have to do better in your life. Like, what are you going to do? And so I got a call. I don't remember how long after I got that no. Um, but then I got a call and it was the director of special education from Palmdale School District. She's like, I want to bring you in for an interview. And I was like, oh, okay. So I went to the interview and she hired me right on the spot. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I was just like, thank God. I said, thank you, God. Like, what what else can you say? Like, cause that was nothing but divine intervention. Like, really? Did you feel the need to 
to talk about that and say, hey, I don't know if you saw this. Or did you just say she made an offer? I'm just going to roll with it. Girl, no, I wasn't trying to tell nobody about that. Like it was honestly, it hasn't been until I've gotten to this point in my life where I've even been comfortable to talk about it because mm-hmm. I was so ashamed of it. But I also was like, like sometimes God sets us up to do things like sometimes we think, oh, like, oh, that was nothing but the devil. Like, yeah, but I made the decision. Like God allows us to make have free range in our decisions. And despite what I, how I felt about it, it was a setup for what I'm doing now and where I'm at now, which is in the best place of my life, honestly. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of like, I was so ashamed to even share that with people because I was just like, who, who wants to work with somebody that had a DUI? Like, you know, and and it was just because I had to have that blow thing in my car. And and it was just it was such a nightmare. Like I was just like to have to not. And, and, you know, the money aspect was like, oh, my gosh, there's so much money. But it was just the embarrassment of it all for me. So I didn't want to tell anybody. So it was just kind of like it was one of those things. I was like, if she don't ask, I ain't going to tell. And and that's just how I kind of rolled all that time. And it wasn't it was. It was, I had, I had a training and my principal and I, we we went to the training together and we were going to lunch. And the first day it was a two day training. She drove. Well, the second day she was like, you should drive Amber. And I was like, oh no, like no, (laughs) cause I had the blow thing in my car. And I'm like, no, you don't know about that side. Like, you don't know that about me. I don't want you to know that about me. And she was like, and so I was like, well, and she was so adamant about it. And it was just kind of like. I need you to know that there's, she's like, girl, I'm not worried about that. And I was just like, and it was such a, it was such a weight off of my shoulders. Like, cause I was like, I was so afraid that people would judge me. I felt like my core body temperature just went up. Even with you just telling the story (laughs) of her being like, now you drive. Like, like, I was just like, no, 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 we can't do that. No. And and she, but she was so cool and it, and it, it allowed us to have a deeper conversation. And I was like, honestly, and not to say that I would make, I would, but if, if it's my mom, I'm going to do it again. Like I, I, there's no, there's no way around it to even, you know, but it was just kind of like her not making it like such a terrible thing made me feel more comfortable. Now, granted, I still didn't share it with many people, Mm -hmm. but it was just, it just helped me realize like, not everybody looks at you and demonizes you for your 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 choices. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's how I've always felt in my life because I was always seen as the bad kid or this and she got a bad attitude and she always did. And so I always felt like every decision I've made were, was being, you know, looked at with the microscope. Like, it, you know, so it makes you feel like you can't be open and honest about what you're dealing with because people either downplay it to make it seem like you shouldn't feel that way or it's like, oh, oh, we got to stay back from you. like you a plague. Like, so I never ha- I never felt like I had that happy medium. And mm-hmm. so it was just kind of like, oh, so that, that helped a little bit because it was like, that's your supervisor. She going to know that you got a, a DUI thing in your car. You got to keep it in for six months. And you got to keep blowing in it while you drive. Like it was it was just the thought of it right now. It was just like still torture, but I made it through. So, yeah. So to come through all of that basically be let go during your probationary year at another job. Well, first having a difficult experience at, at, at the one place, then getting let go because of this unfortunate DUI incident. Now to this job that you have now and building this rapport as well with your superior and also being basically crowned the child whisperer. 
so tell me a, like what your work looks like today as a school psychologist in, in at a place where you really love it. Um, so what I, I don't, I consider myself like, you know, how people call themselves like a unicorn in certain aspects. Like you, I feel like I'm a unicorn when it comes to working with kids because it's, I, I have realized that my gift is really to connect with children. Mm-hmm. Like regardless, it doesn't matter how bad, what race, it doesn't matter. Like I just have that ability. Um, and so my actual job title is literally to like test kids, do like counseling for kids who have IEPs that's in special education um, and have I and have um, IEP meetings and write reports. Like that's my basic job title. Now, what Amber does, Amber enjoys going into the classroom. Amber enjoys interacting with the teachers. Amber enjoys advocating for kids, no matter what the issue might be. Um, so when I got to Palmdale, even before, even when I was at LAUSD, when I was with the, with, with at, um, at the school I was at in there, it was high poverty, a lot of behavior, um, just my interaction, just being known. Like many school psychologists, like people don't know about school psychologists because they are, they in this little box, they're in this Mm -hmm. bubble. They don't even know that they exist on the campus. That's not me. Like people know who I am. And they know that they can come to me if they need any assistance. So it wasn't until my principal, the principal I'm with now, and the other principal before, she was, they were always say, I've never had a school psychologist like you. And I'm thinking, well, what else are we like? I didn't get into this field just to sit and do tests and and you know, I didn't want to be a teacher. I knew that that was not my ministry. Oh my goodness. I knew that I listen, I said, because if I get a me, it's a wrap. Like we, we we just not, we not even going to make it through the, the school year. But I wanted to still work with kids and I wanted to work with kids with behavior. And my mom, always, she told me, she said, it wasn't until you got into this field where I really understood what she said. Because I, there was, a, we were having a conversation and I said, I love working with kids with behavior. And I said, the crazier, the better. And she's like, you can't say that. And I was like, well, it does sound bad, but I think the more severe the behavior, I can relate to them more. I don't know what it is but I just can get through to them. And so just, I'm very interactive. I go into the classrooms. I might sit with the kid, might sit with them the whole day or like in spurts of the day. And, um, and I, you know, they feel comfortable coming to my office. I can have conversations with them, even with parents. Like I've, as much as I always say that I don't have patience for, for adults. Mm -hmm. Almost It's not just parents, it's adults, period. (laughs) But what I have learned is that um, because I have been to those, that place in my, in my own emotions where I'm super, super heightened, like when parents come in and they're like going off and they're cursing and all this other stuff. And, and I realize that sometimes I feel like I'm, when I do it, I feel like sometimes I'm, I'm appear to be like, is being condescending. Mm-hmm. Cause it's just like, I'm just like, I'm just listening and I'm nodding along and I'm hearing them. And I say, I understand, you know, I'm, I understand, but my, everybody, like my colleagues and even the parents, they're like, I appreciate you. And I'm like, oh, well, well, thank you. And it's not that I'm trying to, but it's like my ability to deescalate, not only children at this point, uh, but parents too. It was just kind of like, they know that they can trust me. And I think the students know that they can trust me. And so when, you know, if you're, if, if the child knows that their, their parent can trust somebody, they're more inclined to trust you. And it's, and it's vice versa. 
if the parent sees that you're that you have this great rapport with their child, they're more inclined to, you know, listen and and, and have these conversations with you. Cause I've seen kids from where they flipping desk and they cussing and they, you know, doing all type of stuff. And I'm still able to get them to calm down and, and get back into class eventually. And that's not everybody's ministry. Mm-hmm. People I'll be looking like, just, just step back. Let me just, let me do what I got to do. And it, and it's just, I was actually having this, this conversation with my friend when I went up North to see her. And she was like, I said, I wish I had a, like a special ability or something like this. She was like, you're like, the child, like, why don't you see what you do with children as a special ability? Like the way you connect with children is on a whole nother level because like, I have this relationship where I can, I can be firm with you, but at the same, and you'll, and you'll listen, but we also can have a conversation to where you feel comfortable to have, you know, to express what you're feeling. And it's just, I, I love what I do. I didn't think that I would love it this much, but I absolutely love what I do. And I like people like, are you going to start your own practice and stuff? Like, oh, maybe eventually. But that's not where I'm at right now. I Mm -hmm. I love being in the school and I feel like I'm needed. And where I am now, I feel like I was absolutely needed. And that's why I would say like my steps were definitely ordered as much as I thought, oh, I'm going to stay in L.A. Oh, no. Palmdale is far. Yeah, with traffic, it is. But this is where I needed to be. And not only was it the best move for me professionally, it was the best move for me uh, academically because it, was, it allowed me not to be, you know, hindered by the other people that were, you know, I have family and friends who work in the industry. So they always invited me to parties and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Well, Palmdale, you ain't trying to drive all the way down just for a party because I got to drive back up. Like I got to go right. So that that wasn't always so it allowed me to be able to focus on what I needed to do so I could finish school because I there was times girl I didn't think I was gonna make it I was like this doctorate this dissertation somebody can take it and tear it up and throw it away like it was just it was a lot and so just being in this place working with the population that I work with like when I came here and they found they told me what school I was going to and I was like oh my god like oh you shouldn't go to that school. And I'm like, well, what's wrong with this? Oh, they got a whole bunch of behaviors. I said, oh, then that's the perfect place for me. Because that's I don't want to be at a school where I can just sit in my office and, and, and there's never anything for me to do other than test and write reports. Like, that's not what I want to do. So I enjoy the behavior. I enjoy connecting with kids who were essentially, who are labeled like me, that were labeled mm-hmm. as I was, a problem child. Oh, you got hurt. Oh, you got to be careful. Yes, we want to put people, and, 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 I, and, and I do this now, I put teachers up on game. Like, mm-hmm. this is the behavior that you might see. However, this is the side of this child that I see and that can be seen if you treat the child this way. Don't do it this, and if you have issues, like, call me. I'll come in, you know, and they know. And, you know, and it's interesting that you, it, so I'm more and more, seeing like people like they tell me like we had a a meeting the other day and one of the teachers was like she would because we had to talk about what we um what we were good at and so um she was so I went we went into the the little um what's that thing called breakout room because of course it's on zoom Mm -hmm. and she and she was like well what are you good at I was like I don't know I said I'm just here and she was like you're very dependable and you're supportive. Like I feel safe when I'm in the classroom. I know I could call. I was like, like it just blew me away. Like what? Like that's what you, that, and that's how people see me. And it's just, even if you don't see yourself like that because you just do, 
and you you know you I'm there like that's what how people perceive me and I'm like oh that makes you feel really good it makes you feel like it validates what you're doing and it, and I'm you like, know mm-hmm. I think and I think part of that is because when you're walking in purpose it's work and we have challenges and are given our chosen fields or what have you but when it's what you've been called to do there's a there is some of it that's just easy for you uh because mm-hmm. it's what you've been called to do so for other people, it's like the reaction that you mentioned, like, oh, my God, I, you know, you going to that school. But for you, it's what you were drawn to. But sometimes um, what comes out of that and outgrowth of that experience is that we minimize and downplay our giftings. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that that's just what you're anointed to do. It almost mm-hmm. gets like thought of as just like a throwaway thing. Like this is not special because this is just mm-hmm. what I do. Not realizing that that talent and gift that's the part of you is that certain special something that makes you a cut above the rest because this is not something that you just chose. It is mm-hmm. a, it is a profession that chose you right. and a- everything in your life, which I've said on the show a hundred times, everything in your life is meant to push you into the direction of what you were called to do. It's meant to push you into destiny. So it's just this weird catch 22 of walking in your calling because mm-hmm. you just, you're just walking in it. So because it's not like a, and there are challenges, there's the the job loss and the this and that, it happens. But in the the core responsibility that you have every day, because you are just doing the job that you were meant to be doing, it does sort of feel like, eh, what's special about this? Not realizing that it's something incredibly special about it. And I'm sitting here as you're talking and you mentioned like being in the classroom and how some like school psychologists are just, you know, in their office. So now I'm thinking back, like, I know we had a school psychologist when I was in high school because people would mention if they got into a fight or something happened or they tried to jump out on a teacher, like, oh, I got sent to Dr. Whitehead, right? Mm-hmm. But Dr. Whitehead was like this mythical figure. I can't even tell you where his office was on campus. And it wasn't like we had some huge camp. I knew where everybody's, all my teachers, every department, the principal, everybody. Like, I can't tell you where Dr. Whitehead's office was. The only time you saw him is if you caught him walking out of the school for some reason or like to an administrator's office, he wasn't in, he wasn't out and about. Mm-hmm. So you, and again, these are high school kids, so that's different. But at the same time, I never knew, I don't know of a school psychologist who's like, call me into the classroom if something goes down. Mm-hmm. All we ever knew is like, that's where you got sent if you started just like demonstrating or exhibiting some alarming behavior. Mm-hmm. You had to go talk to Doc, right? So right. I think that in and of itself really separates you Um from just maybe your run-of-the-mill everyday school psychologist. But also what I find interesting is that we talked about on the show, there's a lot of focus on the school-to-prison pipeline. And we talked about it a little bit here and alluded to it, you know, kids being being labeled very early and how that follows them and what that means for their prospects in terms of who they're going to become in life. Mm-hmm. For you, and then you also mentioned it in your in the job where you didn't get along with the principal, where you have different views about how things are to be approached. Is that part of it discouraging, sort of going up against a system that's really not designed for the way that you approach this? Or do you feel like where you are now, uh, that they are open to the way that you are are treating these students and the way that you're looking to really um, fully integrate them and make sure that, that they finish and not just get labeled and thrown away? Mm-hmm. I feel like, I'm gonna be honest with you. The mm-hmm. school I'm at now, I do feel like that that is the 
the same, we all have the same mindset. Okay. That is not how I felt at the school that I was at prior. Mm-hmm. Um, because they, they had already labeled them like, oh, no, oh, he he's he's bad. He's this. He's that. And it's like, no, like why? Why? These are children. They're still developing. We mm-hmm. still have the opportunity to turn them around. If you assume that because this six year old is throwing tantrums that he's not going to be able to be anything in life. How dare you? Like how? Like why? Why is that your mindset? Because that that's so far gone. Like we always talk about, oh, brain development. They don't develop until they're 25. Like things. Why are we just assuming that this kid, because we live in the, the, he lives in the community that he lives in, you know what community you work in. And instead of you uh, making the attempts to connect with this child, you're just throwing them away. Mm -hmm. But when you work at a school, like the school I'm working at now, I have like-minded people. Like minded, and I'm talking about from the principal down to the janitor. Like we all have the same mindset to have these kids succeed. Like we went into this school that you know they were going to shut it down again because the behavior is so bad. Um, they kept having turnover with teachers, like to the point where teachers would come, and like within weeks they would be like, "No, nah, this ain't for me," and they quit. Like that's how. That's how intense the behavior at this school was. Like there was like literally no academics being taught at this school because they were trying, trying and not doing a very good job at it of trying to manage behavior. They had kindergartners running around the school, leaving the school, going down to pet stores. They wanted to see the pets. Like what? What? You got a four year old and a five year old that's able to get out of the school and go down like, you know, like doing twerking on the tables and, you know, cussing and all this other stuff. I was I was telling I always tell my the the people about my first experience with that school. It was another school psychologist. I was there and we had the we had these cohorts with psychologists. And so we were having the meeting at his school. And one day I had my little, you know, my natural I had my curls and stuff going. And so I'm walking to the school and the kids, they just all over the place. And it was just kind of like who's watching y'all? But I walk in and they're like, he said, who your family? And I was like, what you mean? Who my family? <laughs> like, well, who are you talking to? And he was like, who your family? And I said, I said, I don't think you're talking to me and you need to find yourself somewhere else. Like you, go mm-hmm. on, go on my business, baby. And so I come into the school and walk in and then it's another child. She said, hey, you, hey, you. And I'm like, who is she talking? Hey, you with the big hair. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, w- my mind was like, it was completely blown because they were so just like adult. Like, <laughs> you, don't, you don't even know me. Like, who, how are you talking to people like this? And it just it was it was such a like a mind blowing experience. Like, not to ha- like, okay, I've seen kids like certain kids act certain ways, but where it's an entire school, like, really. So when we went into that school, we were we were tasked with turning it around. Now, my principal, she hired all the way, like I said, from the custodian all the way up. And it was all like minded people. We had that school turned around mm, probably within the second month. Once we Mm. established what our expectations were, now we know, oh, these are the real severe behavior kids and not the ones that's just following because they can get away with it. Oh, these are the ones we need to focus on with behavior. Oh, so now that we have the behavior under control, now we can get to helping these kids academically. 
because they're struggling. And if we don't help them now, they're not going to make it. Like I had mm-hmm. fifth grade, you know how to read. And that broke my heart. And then the pandemic hit, we couldn't hold back. And we were just like, and I don't believe in holding kids back. However, I really wanted time to work with some of these students. And I was like, if we can get another full year of working with them. But then of course, pandemic hit, there was the ordinances. Oh no, we can't hold any kid back. Everybody has to go on. And it's just like, how are we sending them to sixth grade and they can't read? Like we're setting them up for failure. We're setting them up to continue the, the, the generational poverty. Like, and, and it might, they might end up in jail. They might end up like, you never know. So why are we, why are we doing this to our children? And so, um, I just went on a tangent, but, um, I I forgot where I was going with my top, with my story, but it's just, it's one of those things where it's just kind of like, when you have like-minded people, it helps you be able to do what you have to do, where you don't feel like you have to battle with everybody and you're clashing because everybody, you know, I want you to do this. Well, that's not the right way to do this for, for this child. We're not doing, we're not, it's not, we're not helping them by doing this. And so that's just where I am now is where I need it to be because it's allowing me to one, work with the population that I want to work with. And also it allows me to get, she, you know, my principal gives me free range pretty much within limits, of course, but I, I'm able to do what I need to do to connect with kids, to get them together. Like, and the parents are okay with it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's nothing too, you know, bad, but it's like, you have those real conversations. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have the play oh my gosh you know like no you need to get it together like I had to have a conversation with a fifth grader the other day like I'm really concerned about your lack of motivation like if you don't get it together you're not gonna make it through middle school and I need you to your mom needs you to. your family like you know we were able to have those conversations and that's what I appreciate about where I'm at now Whew, this I'm, I'm just thinking about the work you do every day um and also just going back to this other point, I'm not going to belabor it, but to think that that is not something special. Because just talking about turning a school around in a month, like it takes five years, three years, a couple of changes in administration to turn schools around. We know like how this goes, right? right? We so, <laughs> right. And then, you know, to to be supporting also the student population in the middle of a pandemic is no small feat on, on top of it. So just thinking about all of that, I'm like, I'm tired just listening to you. Um, but um, in any case, shifting gears a bit, describe a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Mm. So I, I did, I'm going to share this one. I have a few of them, but there was one and it's all and it always leads back to my job. So, mm-hmm. you know, but it's what I love. So that's why I'm going to share it. Um, there was a day it was actually the day before Christmas break. Um, probably two years ago. Yeah, it was two years ago. And um, one of my students, uh, he had been doing, making inappropriate videos or something on his his Chromebook. And so the teacher brought it to the assistant principals. And because I worked with him, they had me sitting in the meeting with him while they were telling him and, and, and asking him about these videos. And it was calling, you know, teachers B words and stuff like that. And, and so... Um, they told him that they were going to suspend him. Now, it's like, bro, we, first of all, it's Friday. We about to go on vacation. Like, why are you talking about you going to suspend him? So that means when we come back in January, he's going to be off for a couple of days. Like, mm-hmm. okay. but so he's, re- now he's really upset, and, you know, and I'm like, calm down, but like, you, you know, calm down. And he's, and, and in my head, it hits me. His birthday is next week. 
Mm. Now, your parents find out you're getting suspended, your birthday pretty much shot. And he knew that. And so he gets up and he storms out of the office. And I'm like, I'm not gonna call his name. I'm like, hey, hey, come back, come back, come back. And so, and and he walks past my office, he walks past the principal's office, he goes to the front door and he leaves out the door. And I'm like, all your office staff in here, y'all didn't stop him. Like, what, what is happening? But because he is who he is and he had the emotional disturbance, nobody wanted to stop him. So I go out and I'm like, come back, come back. He's walking down the street at this point. He sees me, he takes off running. Mm. So what does Amber do? Amber takes off running after him. I'm going, I'm going. <laughs> I'm like, and now I'm thinking like, you too fat to be running like this. Like, girl, <laughs> So I'm literally chasing this kid. We're crossing over major streets because he's trying to get away. And I'm just like, Lord, please don't let him get hit. Please don't let me have an asthma attack and pass out. Like that's literally, I literally ran after this kid for over a mile trying to Mm. get him to stop. And it was just like, they had, the, the school had already like called the police and all this other stuff. So when I finally caught up to him, the police came and, you know, and we we got into the, I <laughs> he was so upset, and we I got I even got into the backseat of the police car with him, mm-hmm. and so I'm in the back we, I'm trying to talk to him now. At the same time, I'm trying to calm myself down because now I'm breathing hard. Like I feel myself having like about like about to go into a full blown asthma attack. But I'm like, try, like I'm still trying to calm him down, and I'm thinking. Ma'am, you see me back here sweating. Turn on the AC. Like, you ain't got to treat me like we getting arrested, like we going to jail. Like, dude. Like, And so it was literally like, it was such a blur. But I was like, I would do that again in a heartbeat because mm-hmm. my job is to keep you safe. So regardless of what had happened, why you were upset, you crossing over, thank God nobody got hit. But that's like, I would do that for any student. Like, if you, if, my job is to keep you safe. So whether you run away, I'm running with you. Where are we going? Mm-hmm. Like, I get you back, but that's just, that's just me. That's, that's who I am. I love what I do and I'm going to be there for them regardless of whatever happens. And so that day was, I always tell that story because I'm just like, I don't know. Like, that's like the Lord got me through that because I was probably about, I'm looking at me now, probably about 20 pounds heavier than I mm-hmm. am now and running down, like <laughs> run down Avenue S chasing this kid. Like, oh my gosh. But yeah, that that would that would have to be my extraordinary. Because this this is just what you're called to do. I can see mm-hmm. that. I'm sure other people see it. Um, and it it's it hits different when, you know, people many people have jobs. There are not a lot of people whose jobs match what they're called to do. Mm-hmm. And, and and you've hit that that intersection. Um 10 years from now, where do you see yourself? Oof. Well. It is my goal to get my license. I am trying to get become licensed, um, a licensed educational psychologist um, so I can have my own private practice. Mm-hmm. But I still want to be in the schools, but I do want to have my own private practice to support families like in L.A. Mm-hmm. for that don't know what services they can get for their kids. And, you know, and then I want to write my book, my my trauma book. That mm-hmm. is that is my. Like, I really want to, hopefully it'll be published by then, be a bestseller. I'm putting that out there in the, you know. In the atmosphere, yes. Um, And just, you know, let me see, I'll be 43. (laughs) Um, Just just enjoying my life, honestly. Like, in Mm -hmm. loving what I'm doing, continuing to be me. Um, Hopefully I have a family by then, you know, you know. 
put it out there in the atmosphere too. Um, but you know, just I want to be in ten years. I want to be professionally stable enough, and and not necessarily, and I don't necessarily have to be known, but I want to be known for the work that I do. Mm-hmm. I want to go into school districts and teach teachers how to deal with students who deal with trauma, and not and and it be somebody that looks like them, like not mm-hmm. you know. No, and no shade to you know other ethnicity, ethnicities that can go into schools, but it's it's something more powerful when you have someone that looks like you that's trying to connect with you. Like it's like, did you really go through that where you where you was coming from? You trying to tell me how to deal with a kid? Like you know what I mean? So I want to be I want to integrate into schools in that capacity where I'm not going as a school psychologist. I'm going as Dr. Amber Willis, the trauma professional, and I'm going to educate you all on how to deal with these students. Absolutely. And where can people find you online? We're all about networking and connection here. Um, you can find me on Instagram. My Instagram is Doc A. Willis. So that's D-O-C-A-W-I-L-L-I-S. Um, I post mental health, you know, um, mental health tips, uh, um, wellness Wednesdays. Um, let me think. I'll call it mental health Mondays is what it is. So it's mental health Mondays, wellness Wednesdays. Sometimes I throw in like some testimonials that people have given me, um, you know, cause I consult on the outside and it's not even, and I do it out the kindness of, I'm not even asking for money. You know, it's just like, Oh, my kids having these behaviors. Oh, let's talk about it. And then all I've asked is like, Oh, just send me something saying how I helped you. Mm-hmm. Like that's it. And so that's where you can find me. Doc A. Willis. I'm putting it out there, you know, it's, it's, I just, I honestly just created like maybe four or five months ago. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm like, I need that. I need to put myself out there professionally. So that's where you can find me. I'm on Absolutely. Facebook. Um, Amber Willis. That's, you know, it's probably so many Amber Willis's out there. So, you know, <laughs> but that's it. Well, listen, <laughs> I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. DeMarcus called it. He said it was going to be good. And just the way you talk about your own experiences makes it even 10 times better. So uh, Black people have a way of finding like levity in anything, which just Mm -hmm. makes, this takes the story up a few notches. But in any event, thank you so much. Welcome to the December 26th family. Um, And I'm excited to see the work that you continue to do in this space. Our communities and our people, especially, we need it. So continue on the path, my sister. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I thoroughly enjoyed this. This was amazing. I'm glad. I'm glad. To our listeners, if you have enjoyed this episode, particularly the informative pieces about it with regard to overcoming trauma, um, the things that we encounter as folks in the Black community that our children encounter in schools, tell somebody about it. Like, share, comment, pass it on. If you are interested in this space as well, either to receive guidance from a professional perspective or to receive guidance with what you might be experiencing personally, go ahead and follow and check out Dr. Amber online. And you know how we end every show? As always, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER. 